All right, Sons of Saturday Hoops Pod. My name is Mike McDaniel, joined by Ed Williams. Ed, what's going on? Not much, man. How you been? Good. Not too bad. Can't complain. Uh, tough loss for Virginia Tech in the opening round of the tournament, so we'll get into that and all that comes along with it, including a couple of transfers, which, I don't know, surprising in some ways, not surprising in others. But first, let's get into the game. Um, Virginia Tech lost in the round of 64 to Florida, 75-70 to 70 in overtime. Uh, initial takeaways for me, Ed, here is losing Aluma and Mutz in overtime ended up being crucial because Tech just didn't have anybody really on the front line outside of Cordell Pemsel to guard Colin Castleton, who was just going off at that point. Um, he was already well into the, well into the flow of the game offensively. It took him a little while, but he really got going in the second half. And by the time overtime rolls around, you lose both. Uh, Aluma and Mutz to fouling out so they're disqualified from the game and you're in a position in overtime where you're guarding a guy who is unconscious and making everything he looks at from inside 15 feet so that wasn't good but my overall takeaway from this is that I thought Virginia Tech played well Um, I thought the size of Florida wore the Hokies down in the second half Um, And much like that North Carolina game in the ACC tournament, I thought Virginia Tech came out and, you know, they were flying around on both ends of of the floor. Uh, I thought that everybody kind of pitched in and contributed both offensively and defensively. And I think truthfully, Ed, the Hokies just ran out of gas there down the stretch. And once you got to the extra period, I thought Tech was just in a really precarious spot without their two top front court guys. Yeah, I mean, I think this game was lost before overtime. I think the Hokies were kind of fortunate to be in overtime to begin with. Um, obviously, Naheem Malene was unbelievable, you know, in the final 10 minutes of that game, uh, finishing with 28. I mean, he was just fantastic. But he was also really the only reason we were even in the game and in overtime to begin with. Yep. Um, you're not going to win a game when your two starting front court players and arguably your two most important players combined for 11 points and only took 11 shots. I'm sorry, not 11 points, 13 points, but only 11 shots. Um, Aluma and Mutz played both over 36 minutes and had seven and six, respectively. Um, That's not going to get it done against a team like Florida in the NCAA tournament. You need those guys to play up to the moment, and they just unfortunately did not. Um, Tyrese Radford kind of gave the Hokies what you would think a guy like that would. He played 45 minutes. It's unbelievable. Um, He played the entire game. So that's pretty insane. And he played, you know, what you'd expect for him. Uh, and the Himalayan, like I said, was unconscious, but then he didn't really get a whole lot out of, you know, um, he got nothing from Pemsel, nothing from Gasan, nothing from BD. Um, so we were just kind of, kind of shallow in terms of our rotation. Only, you know, six guys really played significant minutes, only two for Gasan and nine for Pemsel and then 29 for Couture off the bench, but that was it. Um, Mike Young kept the rotation really, really short, which I thought was not, you know, I don't think that was the issue. I just think the issue is the lack of front court production. Um, and I'll say this, everyone loved to pile on BD after the game because he had zero points. We did not lose because BD scored four less than his season average. It's not like he's our scorer right. and he just didn't show up. He only averaged four points on the year. Um, Aluma averaged, I believe he averaged 15 on the year. He scored seven. So we lost because of the lack of front court production, not because of um, obesity. BD. That's just a ridiculous and lazy narrative that I get really tired of hearing. Yeah, really misguided too. Um, misguided anger after the game to be like, oh, Abyssabidi didn't score, and that's why Tech lost. Um, 
I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Defensively, he was very good. Uh, Trey Mann had a heck of a time getting really any shots off the entire game, except for the dagger in overtime, of course. Cordell Pemsel actually played pretty decent defense on Mann um, coming off of a switch on a pick and roll. Mann hit a ridiculous shot. But I thought Wabisabiti's defense uh, was really, really good all throughout the game, which is truthfully what he is um, and kind of what he has been for Virginia Tech. Not really a scorer. Assists come and go, um, totally dependent on whether guys are, you know, taking a shot and making it uh, when Beattie passes it to him. So assists kind of are what they are. But defensively, I thought Beattie was good. And I totally agree with you. I mean, when you get only 13 points out of your front court, you're putting a lot of pressure on your backcourt to score. Now, um, understandably, Wabissa Beattie is not a scorer, right? And it does become difficult offensively at times when you feel like you're playing a little bit four on five from a scoring standpoint when your point guard can't go out and get a bucket. And I totally understand that. And I think that, you know, from a, you know, higher level, right. And kind of zooming out here when Aluma and Mutz only combine for 13 points, you're putting a ton of pressure on your backcourt to score, which is inherently hamstrung to begin with when BD doesn't put the ball in the basket. So Aline had 28 points, of course, hit the three pointer to send it to overtime, which, kind of a miracle that the Hokies were in that position in and of itself because, you know, Florida had to miss a free throw and Tech had to come down and hit that three. I mean, credit to Aline. He was unbelievable, like you mentioned, the last 10 minutes um, to have 28 points and kind of go find his shot. But, you know, Radford, 18 points, played the entire game. He was outstanding. Couture added 11 off the bench. But most of those points were scored early by Couture. He went pretty cold in the second half, um, hit a few early threes, but he finishes three of 10 from D, 4-11 overall from the floor. Um, didn't end up being the best shooting effort by Couture. He just went cold, had a lot of really good open looks, both in the second half and in overtime that he just couldn't knock down. But when you shorten your rotation and you have five guys combined for 13 points and two of them are arguably your best players in Aluma and Mutz. One of them is a second team, all ACC guy who finishes with seven points and seven rebounds. You're not going to win a game like that against a really talented Florida team. They're going to wear you down over 40 minutes. And I think that's really just what happened Ed. it just kind of snowballed on the Hokies a bit in the second half with a poor shooting performance. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. I mean, it's what's frustrating about this game is it was kind of one of those, you know, my mindset going into it was, we're not really supposed to be here, but we are. Uh, we're ahead of schedule. We're pretty inexperienced. Um, they've got probably some more high-end talent than we did. But what's really frustrating about it is we had it won for most of the game. And then, like you said, just went completely cold. Um, got a feel for Hunter because he was lighting it up to start the game and then just completely went cold. And, you know, we were really only one or two shots away, one or two good possessions away credit to Florida. They did a great job keeping the ball out of the inside. Um, we had a really hard time getting Mutz and Illuma the ball to begin with. I mean, as shown by their only combined 11 shots, that's that number is usually probably double uh, for the two of them. Um, so we could not run any possessions through those two, which in turn made it really hard on the guards. Um, Radford and Aline were great going to the basket. Yeah. Um, and then obviously BD was just, you know, he kind of did his normal thing, played defense and was the facilitator. Um, it, it was tough. It, the second, the last 10 minutes of that game were really tough to watch offensively. We just could not get anything going and they were just feeding Castleton over and over and over again. Um, which was not the theme of the first half. He had like four at the half and the second half just came alive. 
Uh, credit to Tyrese Radford. He did a really good job both on offense, but also guarding Trey Mann. Um, he ended up being the primary defender on Trey Mann for a lot of the game, which was, uh, we, you know, we all thought that would be Beatty the whole time, but they, they both did a good job on Mann, keeping him in check. And just, you know, down the stretch, they had more clutch buckets than we did, and that's really all it came down to. Um, but this team, you know, this team is really good, and they're positioned to be really good next year as well. Um, Mike Young and his staff have done a great job. And, you know, even with the transfers so far that we've seen that are leaving uh, the program, which is super unfortunate. They're, they're, they're leaving because we have so many good players. It's not They're not leaving because they're angry or because they're disgruntled. They're leaving because there's not a really clear path for them to play. And um, I know we'll get into that now, so I'll kick it back to you to start that conversation off. Yeah, I, I think that leads us into kind of what we expect out of this program moving forward going into next season. Um, this week, Joe Biamisil, really talented four-star guard, didn't play nearly as much as you and I expected him to this year, um, announced that he was transferring. Uh, Jalen Cohn announced that he was transferring as well. Uh, I was not too surprised about Biamisil because of the caliber of player that he was coming out of high school, that he wanted to seek more minutes. And I understand given that the Hokies are bringing in Storm Murphy from Wofford and you got Couture playing well in a lean and um, you, you got guys in front of him, Radford, of course, as well, that, you know, make it hard for Bamisil to potentially get the minutes that he wants to get. And we saw Bamisil in a larger role in that Miami game when Radford was suspended and the Hokies needed somebody to turn to and Bamisil played really well. And to be honest with you, and I think the COVID pause there after the Miami game really hurt Joe Bamisil. Um, he was a guy that I thought with the games that the Hokies had ahead of them, they had Louisville on the schedule, North Carolina, Florida State. I thought that those games ahead would have been a really nice opportunity for Joe Bamisil to carve out a larger role for himself in the rotation um, with Tyrese Radford still out because Truth be told, I mean, Radford, you know, by the time the Hokies came back from the COVID pause, Radford was cleared, but that was still another two and a half weeks later. Um, there was an opportunity there for Bamisil to carve out a niche, and it just didn't really work out that way because the Hokies went on pause. Then by the time they came back, Radford was back, and Bamisil, that role that he could have kind of carved out for himself wasn't there anymore. Um, and I think that really hurt Bamisil. Now, could he have ended up transferring anyway? Sure. But if Bamisil is getting... 15 or 20 minutes a night and there's opportunity for him to maybe seize an even larger role next season. He's not transferring. So I, I think it's obviously difficult for him to find the minutes. Jalen Cohn was the one you and I disagree a little bit on this. So I want to get into it with you here. So Jalen Cohn, that one surprised me a little bit more because I believe that Jalen Cohn kind of is who he is just like the spark plug off the bench. Jalen Cohn, I think believes that he can get a larger role elsewhere, which Look, no arguments here if he goes to maybe a mid-major. I don't see him going to, like, another ACC school, for example, and, you know, being the starting point guard just because of his size. I think he's a very good player, a very athletic player. He can obviously shoot the lights out. Um, he had periods of time this year where he went cold, and then obviously he got hurt and didn't play uh, the final, I don't know, five or six weeks of the season after spraining his ankle against Miami. But uh, he's a guy that I just kind of see as – this specialty player off the bench can come in, hit a bunch of threes. He thinks that he can carve out a larger role. So it surprised me a little bit that he was transferring, but I guess from where he's coming from, I can also understand it, but there would have been minutes for Jalen Cohn in that three point specialist role 
Mike Young's called him the best shooter in the program numerous times. So I do think that loss does hurt Virginia Tech from a bench standpoint. I mean, look at this game against Florida, Ed. Like, we're talking about bench scoring that Tech so desperately needed. They really missed Jalen Cohn. They really missed him, and I think the opportunity for him to play in that game would have been huge for Virginia Tech, potentially putting them over the top. But I think that's a pretty significant loss that might be remedied by some transfers. The Hokies come in, and, and Storm Murphy, obviously, adding to the offense will help. But wanted to get your thoughts on on the two of those guys, their transferring, and, and what that kind of means for the program moving forward. Yeah, the first thing I'll touch on is I did not anticipate the Hokies missing Jalen Cohn as much as they did in that Florida game. Um, yep. I thought they would be okay without him and I was wrong and I think I was wrong and part of what I already talked about was the bigs didn't do anything um relative to what they had done all year I think if the bigs play normally win that game uh and J- the Jalen Cohn thing is kind of a, a moot point but because the bigs didn't play well it would have been great to have you know a seventh guy off the bench to actually contribute offensively um which we just didn't have so yeah I do think if Jalen Cohn plays in that game it's a big difference but I also think if the bigs play relatively normal, it's, it doesn't matter if Jalen Cohn plays or not. So uh, on the transferring aspect of him, I agree with you. I think he is what he is too. And at this level of basketball, um, I think he is what he is. And, and that's not a bad thing, but I totally understand why he thinks he's more and wants to be more. Um, and I, I think I saw somewhere, I read something that he wants to play maybe at a mid-major where he can play point guard in hopes of making the NBA someday. Um, that obviously wasn't going to happen here with Storm Murphy coming in. I just don't know that he's um, that level of player right now at in the ACC where he can play point guard and play 30 minutes and, you know, be a ball primary ball handler. He's just not, he's just not there. Um, will he be? Sure. I hope so. I mean, he's a super talented dude. Um, I, I think going to a mid-major could do him a lot of good and he could play those minutes and be, that type of player for a couple of years where maybe he does get some looks at the next level, whether it's in the NBA or overseas or whatnot. So I wasn't totally surprised um, because I think he's similar to Storm Murphy and I think Storm Murphy's more versatile. Um, I think Murphy's obviously going to come in and start and play significant minutes and be that primary ball handler um, where Jalen Cohn just clearly wasn't going to be that guy. I mean, if he was good enough to do it this year, he would have beat. He wouldn't have played as much. Yeah. But when it came down to needing a point guard offense for defense, Mike Young went with Hunter Couture all year. Right. It so, would have been it would have been it would have been Cone instead of Couture in that secondary yeah. ball handler role. So clearly he's just not there. Um so I mean I no hard feelings. He he's a great dude. And I think I think that one made more sense to me than the Bamaso one did because what, what as Joe Bamaso said in his statement in his interview with I think it was the Roanoke Times, where where was he going to – whose minutes was he taking this year? Um, I think a lot of fans are really excited about Bamisil and thought he was some kind of world beater. But, like, when he got on the floor, there were moments where you saw it. But at large part, he was never better than Justin Mods or Naheem Aline or Tyrese Radford. Or he looked like – yeah, I mean, he I mean, looked he just young, wasn't. Right? He looked like yeah. a freshman. Yeah. And that's why I'm surprised he was so quick to leave. Um I just didn't get it. I, I was like, okay, wh- I mean, what did you want to do? Did you want to come in here and play 35 minutes a night and score 25 a game? Like, Nikhil Alexander-Walker didn't do that, and he's better than Bama still was coming out of high school. I mean, that's just not realistic. Um, and I'm not here to beat up on Joe. I mean, I get his decision-making and he wants to go play. But I also think if he's good enough to play 
at this level and as good as people think he is, he would have played this year and he definitely would have played next year. Right. Um, Naheem Aleem was what a three-star coming out. Honor Couture was committed to Wofford. Tyrese Radford was a red shirt and then has since, you know, turned into a really good player, but like the pedigree of high school player, Joe Bama still blows them all out of the water. So if he's right. that good, he would have been that good now. And he definitely would have been that good next year. So right. I was a little surprised by that. I, and kind of frustrated, not, I mean, I know that's kind of where college sports and especially college basketball have gone. It's like, if I don't play now, I, I'm leaving. And it's, it's just, I don't know. I think it's to the detriment of a lot of players. I mean, you can't bounce around that many times and expect to stick anywhere and have any real progression in your ability. Um, playing in the same system over and over means something. Ask Kevin Aluma and Storm Murphy, who have both come to Virginia Tech with Mike Young, to play in the system that they knew they were recruited for and knew that they understood and could, could thrive in. And it's worked out really well for Kevin Aluma. We'll see about Storm Murphy next year. But I don't know. The I thought Joe pulled the plug a little too early. I think he, if he was as good as everyone says he is and as good as he can be with his athletic ability, I think he would have played next year and had a significant role. But maybe Mike Young told him otherwise. I don't know. I, I, was, I was a little surprised by that one, uh, less so by Cone, just due to the – uh, size limitations at the ACC level for Jalen, but I don't know. It's it's frustrating because you know those are two high level recruits that came in in Mike Young's first two classes who are out the door, but they also left on good terms. It seems like um, there was some speculation about you know Coach Webster and maybe he's going to get an offer somewhere and leave because he was the primary recruiter on both those guys. Um, I know Coach Webster is highly sought after. Um, and highly thought of all across the country and has had opportunities to leave in the past. But, I mean, hopefully that's not the case. But, I mean, the, he, there is a connection there where he was the primary recruiter for both Joe Bamasil and Jalen Cohn. Uh, so who knows? But, yeah, I mean, it stinks. Uh, I, it stinks more for Bamasil, but – because I get it for Cohn. I'll be interested to see where they both end up, especially Joe Bamasil. I'm really intrigued to see uh, what kind of looks he gets and where he ends up landing. And, you know – no, no hard feelings either way. They both put out like great statements talking about how much they love the program and the school and the coaching staff. So I mean, it's better than if it was, you know, malicious and they left on bad terms. So hard to argue with that. Yeah. The other thing too, is like, it's not like these guys were wasting a year of eligibility, right? I mean, this was a year where eligibility across college athletics didn't count because of COVID they weren't counting it against kids. So it's not like you didn't have four years of eligibility left. It was almost like a free redshirt year. Um, you could play as much as you want. So I, I agree. Um, I think that Joe might've pulled the plug a little too early. And I do think that with another year of development with this staff, it would have done him well. And, you know, I think that he would have played. I, I mean, look, the, the way I look at it, I don't think there was any chance that Bamisil wasn't going to play a larger role next year, just given kind of who Virginia Tech is losing and who's coming back and um, just the fact that he was going to have a whole entire offseason to just continue to develop as a play, as a collegiate player and again like Ed like you said like you could see the potential with Bamisil and that's what makes it tough right you could see the potential there and the athleticism and like he was a big reason why Virginia Tech won that game against Miami. In fact, he was the reason why Virginia Tech won the game against Miami. I mean, without Bamisil's spark in that game, uh, Tech is dropping a tough road game in the ACC to a team that's not nearly as good as they are. And, you know, he could be a difference maker. He could have been a difference maker for this program 
next year. And he feels like he could have been a difference maker this year. But I think given Virginia Tech's wing depth and the way some of these guys were playing, you know, maybe he thought he should have gotten more minutes. And, and look, Naheem Aline, you know, struggled this year, right, at, at times. And then at times he was really good. Uh, but I think if you're Bama Cell, you're looking at it, you're like, all right, well, Naheem Aline is struggling. He's still getting 20, 25 minutes a night. Like, why can't I eat into some of those minutes? And that's probably what he's thinking in the back of his mind. You know, why can't he be out there on the wing when Hunter Couture is playing primary ball handler with BD on the bench, right? And why can't I get more run? I don't really pin this on Mike Young. I mean, he knows his team better than I do and better than you do, Ed. And we're just sitting here evaluating what we see. But Mike Young is with these guys in practice all the time. He knows what they can and can't do. He knows their limitations. He knows, most importantly, their consistency, right? And I think that was the hesitancy with playing Joe Bambasil more minutes is, you know, the consistency factor. And was he going to be more of a plus on the court than a minus? And, you know, Mike Young can't worry about whether or not guys are going to transfer if he's not given a minutes. He's got a job to do. He's got to win games in a very tough ACC. Um, and, and I get it. But from Bamisil's standpoint, I, I do get wanting to have a larger role elsewhere. I get Jalen Cohn wanting to have a larger role elsewhere. And I think it'll be really, really interesting to see where they end up. And, you know, Bamisil was actually committed to Northwestern um, prior to decommitting and committing to Virginia Tech. Northwestern is not in a good place as a program right now. You do wonder if he entertains that option again, which. Yeah, but that one, it's like. It's like, okay, you go to Northwestern and you do what? You're the best player in the team and one of the best conferences in the country and you have double teams every single night and you're the guy that's circled on every scouting report. I don't know. Does that give you your best opportunity to play at the next level? I mean, good luck. Like, right, right. You're going against Illinois and Maryland and Michigan and, you know, night in and night out. It's like, and you're the guy on Northwestern. Like, best of luck to you. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't seem like a really good path to getting to the NBA, having getting double teamed in the, one of the best conferences in the country every single night. Yeah. I just, I, I just think it's a little impatient for Joe. I think he obviously would have found a nice foothold in the Virginia tech program in the next year. Um, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Mike Young had a different conversation with him. Uh, who knows? Right. No, I know. Uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, that. It's tough. I mean, Mike and it's Young- not just happening to us. It's happening across the country. Walker oh. Kessler was a five-star recruit, and he's bouncing after one year from UNC and Roy Williams. I mean, like, I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, it's just kids are really quick to pull the trigger nowadays. And, I mean, hopefully at some point it comes back to the middle where, you know, you transfer when you need to, not when you immediately want to. Uh, well, I agree. I mean, let's let's talk about Kudus Wahab, the uh, 6'11", 237-pound center from Georgetown, uh, who has turned into a obviously really nice player for them. Well, he's announced that he's entering the transfer portal, and Virginia Tech is in need of some front court help here, Ed. And he is a guy, in my opinion, who could be a good fit for this program. He was recruited by Buzz Williams. Um, I, I think there's opportunity there for him to potentially – play himself into the fold here in Blacksburg. If they were to, the Hokies were to go into the transfer portal and find a big guy, which Mike Young said is definitely a need, just another front court guy to add depth. The guy that they didn't really have to guard Colin Castleton, truthfully. Right. And yeah, we thought that that might end up being their downfall. He presents a really intriguing option. I, I mean, there's so many players in the transfer portal, Walker Kessler, 
announced he was transferring from UNC earlier in the week. I have a hard time seeing him end up at Virginia Tech, but I think Wahab from Georgetown is a guy who, look, is from the state of Virginia, was recruited by the Hokies. I think he's a more realistic option for them. And he was second team all Big East, like a really good player um, who's emerging. And Patrick Ewing did a great job for him. I'm surprised that he is transferring out of that program that has really developed him into a really nice player. Yeah, it's, a, it's another one. It's just like, why are you leaving? But if you come to Virginia Tech, I don't care. Um, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, just picture a world where we have a you know seven-footer down low and you can slide a limit to the four. Kevin Aluma will eat up most fours in the country. I mean, he's, he's just – I mean, he was eating up centers all year long. I mean, just imagine him against smaller dudes and then you go one step further down the line, Mutt's going against, you know, wing players, back, backing them down in the post. I mean, that would be some matchup nightmares. It would be a really big lineup. Um, if that, if there's, you know, if that does end up happening, it'd be cool to see, you know, have a big guy like that. Virginia Tech doesn't usually get those kind of players. So, um, we'll see if Mike Young's able to land him. I know he had a relationship with Buzz and the staff. And I do think it was really cool. I just thought about this, it was, you know, contrast of coaching staffs, right? After losing in the NCAA tournament, Mike Young is already kind of almost posturing in the post-game press conference, letting people know outwardly, hey, if you're a big man in the portal, take a look at us kind of thing. Um, most coaches wouldn't be that open, especially in a national news conference like that. And I think that set them up really well uh, to head into the transfer portal and head into the off season to try to, you know, put themselves on the radar of some of these guys. I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. You know, most coaches at most programs aren't outwardly saying what they want and what they need um, right after their season ended in a post great in a post game press conference. So who knows, that'd be a great pickup. Another one that, you know, everyone's talking about a lot is uh, Bobby Pettiford, uh, yep. originally committed to Louisville, has since decommitted to Louisville due to an assistant staff coaching change uh, issue there. Um, I know Virginia Tech's already been in contact with him. I've seen that on a couple different, you know, message boards and talked to people um, that we've already talked to him. And, you know, we were kind of in the mix at the end of his original recruitment anyway. Um, I know he really wants to be uh an acc at an acc school and an acc player um but i know he also had a really good relationship with providence um and he said in a quote in an article on 24 7 that um you know providence is where his heart was originally but he wanted to play in the acc so that's why he chose louisville so uh, that'll be an interesting one especially with a player as talented as him um this late in the cycle he's gonna get hit up by everyone yeah so that'll be that'd be a really hard recruitment for Virginia tech to land but who knows i mean it's definitely very possible that'd be a great pickup but like i mean it's just another guard though so where does that fall um does he split time with murphy does murphy move to the two i mean who knows uh, right. extremely talented player so and then the other one that everyone's linked virginia tech to right away just due to size and need uh is trey mitchell from i think umass correct yep um really good player put up great numbers obviously lower level of basketball but um 6 just does a lot of things really well that would be a great fit for Mike Young and the staff. Um, when you look at the makeup of the roster with Storm Murphy coming in from Wofford, um, still don't really know about BD, I guess. I mean, it sounds like he's probably done, but who knows? Uh, but with Storm Murphy at the one, and then you have the mix of Aline and Couture and Radford um, kind of on the wings with um, maybe Darius Maddox coming off the bench, guys like that, highly talented players well who – so far is still sticking around. Hopefully that stays that way. Um, 
And then you have Justin Mudson and Luma. It, it, the, the need is clearly another big with Pemsel leaving and yeah. Ojiako just not being there yet. Right. Uh, he's, he's just not good enough yet. Not hasn't played basketball long enough. Um, right. So hopefully they can land at least a big, maybe another guard. Uh, now that roster space has opened up and, you know, we'll see, it'll be interesting. Well, I'm sure we'll jump back on here and talk about it whenever the time comes. Cause it seems like things are kind of unfolding pretty quick and we'll probably know in the next week or two, uh, maybe shortly there after the final four, um, what this team's going to look like going into the next season. Yeah. Um, Sean Padula coming in as a freshman, will add another body, um, but you lose. Yeah. Anderson. But I just think he's just another body though. I don't know that he'll be ready to play ACC ball year one. No, 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 definitely not. But from a roster yeah. spot standpoint, right. You, yeah. you have uh pencil and BD both likely moving on. We haven't heard anything really to dispute that, but they're both likely done. Um, you have Bamisil and Cone transferring out. So there will be roster space available, like you mentioned. And there's no reason why tech couldn't get into the portal and add two guys. Now, what does that mean for, <laughs> a guy like Darius Maddox, for example, that as far as we know for now is sticking around. But if you add another guard into the mix after already bringing on Storm Murphy, maybe Darius Maddox starts taking a look around elsewhere as well because he played even less than Bamisel did this year. Um, so I th- that'll be interesting to see too. I think with Maddox though, and part of the reason I wasn't super surprised with Bamisel is because I viewed Bamisel as the same player as Radford whereas Tyrese Radford's not going anywhere and he's not giving up his minutes and he's a really good basketball player. Maddox is a wing slash kind of a point guard. And I think Maddox fits Mike Young's system a little bit better than Bamosel does. Um, just from his skill set and his ability to shoot. Um, I mean, Bamosel is a decent shooter, but that's not really his game. He's more of an athletic, you know, go to the basket kind of guy, which we desperately needed. So it stinks that he's leaving, but I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I would be surprised if Maddox left. Um, I think he's got like some sort of relationship with is it Chester Frazier? Maybe he's like cousins or something. I, I don't know. There's some sort of connection there um, as well. So hopefully he sticks around because he's again, another really, really talented player that it would stink to see uh, on the way out. Yeah. But I think the overall prognosis of the program, I mean, definitely heading in the right direction. I don't think anybody, regardless of how disappointed you may have been watching this game against Florida. I don't think anybody is disputing the fact this program is definitely on the uptick um, and ahead of schedule for sure, too. This team wasn't even supposed to be in this tournament and picked 11th in the ACC in the preseason. You know, you're still able to make a make a run in the ACC. I, I guess it's a down ACC, but it was still a good year for the Hokies, I thought. Yeah, all around. I mean, even with the, the loss of two former four-star recruits, we still are pretty optimistic, right? And that's definitely that's saying that's saying a lot when you lose that level of talent. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so let's let's do this. Let's move on to more of like national hoops conversation. I want to start with this because this is a little bit off the cuff. Um, we're going to preview the Sweet 16 here. Uh, Ed, you might have seen this already. Shaka Smart is moving towards an agreement with Marquette as we record this podcast. And by yeah. the time this is out, it might be a done deal, which that's one way to not get fired from Texas. I uh, I did see this right as we started to record, and I was going to mention it once we got to you know the more national level part of the podcast. But yeah, I'm reading John Rothstein's feed right now, and Marquette's administration is meeting with its players, and barring something unforeseen, Marshaka Smart's going to Marquette. Um, yeah, like you said, that's one way to not get fired. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's oh, a man. that's a really weird move. Um, was Texas really going to fire him? They were just a three seed. I mean, like, yeah, ah, that's crazy. I mean, 
maybe he views it as I think a couple of those guys were older, right? Matt Coleman feels like he's been there forever. Yeah. Um, maybe he feels like they were going to be down next year and rather than get fired, he'll just bounce now and go rebuild. Right. Um, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, yeah, odd, odd, odd for both parties. I mean, Texas, who knows what they're going to do now? I mean, that that's super weird. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe a guy like Chris Beard would go over to Texas. I don't know. Why would you leave Texas Tech to go to Texas? It seems like similar yeah. levels of the basketball program. Yeah. Um, with lower that was, stress, yeah, that was an odd one. With lower stress too for Chris Beard at Texas Tech. Like, you don't have the Texas booster influence at Texas Tech that you do at Texas. Um, it's a bit lower stress for him there. I feel like, and uh, the thing about Shaka Smart too, it's like, I. I get it, right? Like, if your team, if you feel like your program's going to be down next year, maybe a dip before you cause further headaches. I mean, ironically, that's kind of what Buzz Williams did at Marquette <laughs> coming to Virginia Tech. He's like, all right, well, I'm butting heads with the administration, and we might not have the best team in the world next year. Maybe I'll just go to Blacksburg, which I kind of view this the same way. It's like, well, there's a well established coach who is leaving a good basketball program to go to one that's in the middle of a rebuild, right? And Marquette historically has obviously been very good. And I'm not trying to draw a parallel between Marquette and Virginia Tech, but it is kind of this weird Bermuda Triangle thing here for Shaka Smart. And yeah, Brian Hamilton from The Athletic kind of echoes what Rothstein was saying. Shaka Smart and Marquette are moving towards an agreement to bring the Texas coach to Milwaukee. Not sure if it's done yet, but it's moving in that direction. So, I mean, okay. Why didn't Marquette, here's, here's a question. Why didn't Marquette call like, Porter Moser, for example. I get that he's still playing, right? And they don't want to interrupt the the run for think, Loyola, but I think the Porter Moser thing is super interesting because there's no doubt that he's just a ridiculously good coach. Um, but at this point, is Marquette really a better program than Loyola Chicago? I mean, is it worth moving your family and uprooting and restarting at Marquette when you, you've got what you've got going on at Loyola Chicago? I mean, they're playing in the sweet 16 against a 12 seed um tomorrow on saturday they could easily be in the elite eight maybe a final four again i mean yeah how why would you go to marquette it seems like that's that would be almost a lateral move now porter moser to indiana might not be as much of a lateral move that's one that i think could have legs if he wants to make a move um go to indiana and try to rebuild that but yeah i mean the texas thing that that's super odd um right i mean if they lose to abilene christian is he leaving i doubt it right uh, it's very, very strange. I would not want to be uh, the AD at Texas right now with, you know, the pressure they have on not only football, but now basketball as well. Yeah, I don't know who Texas – I mean, Texas will definitely attract some candidates. It's a good basketball program, and somebody will be willing to take on that challenge. But I do wonder, you know, if if I'm Shaka Smart going to Marquette, like it feels like a step down obviously from a basketball standpoint and I think he'll be fine there. I mean, he had a lot of success at VCU Um, Marquette's obviously playing in the big East. So it's not like you're playing in a mid-major conference, but I do feel like playing in the big East, you know, does offer smart an opportunity to continue to rebuild his image. Um, I think that was tarnished a bit once he left VCU, ended up in Texas and didn't have the success that a lot of people expected him to have as quickly as he did. Uh, it took him a while, obviously, to get them to the NCAA tournament, obviously, and have success and uh, have a regular season team that didn't leave you thinking, all right, well, Texas is probably underachieving. I mean, a three seed this year was really good and they were a good team all year. 
I just, I don't know. And if I'm Porter Moser, too, by the way, and who knows if Marquette even called him, right? But if I'm Porter Moser, I get your point, Ed, about the actual basketball program Marquette maybe not being as good as Loyola Chicago right now. Like, I'm, I'm there with you. The opportunity to coach in the Big East is like, all right, the spotlight's still on you, right? Without taking the jump to Indiana, where it's like the expectations are at a 10. And you need to try to rebuild that program as quickly as possible. I mean, I don't know. That could have been like a kind of a cushiony landing spot for him if he wanted to leave Loyola, which who knows if he even wants to do that. You know, who knows? I mean, Indiana, maybe he does want to swing for the fence. Maybe he does take the Indiana job if they if they call him, which I expect him to. But I don't yeah. know. He's interesting. Yeah, the, the Shaka one, I mean, it's obviously a step down in terms of level of basketball, but maybe it's a step back into his comfort zone. Uh, maybe that's where he views it, where he's tried trying to get out of that Texas limelight and back into his comfort zone of like, you know, really good mid-major basketball. Um, you know, Big East is technically a mid-major, but it's obviously high level. Right. Um, maybe he's just trying to take a step back in his comfort zone and find himself um, again and kind of get out of Texas. But with Porter Moser, um, I mean, he's going to have his pick of jobs, right? I mean, he, he doesn't have to jump at a Marquette. He can, he's going to be in the mix for wherever job opens up, either right. now or moving forward. Now, this is kind of a meme, but Rick Patino to Texas? Kind of a meme, but also, is it? Like, I mean, I mean, the guy can coach his ass off, man. <laughs> he had Alabama on the ropes as yeah. I mean, you called that as maybe a potential upset pick, and that got a little bit closer to happening than I would have liked. So, yeah, I mean, you saw what he did to Texas, and then what Mark Turgeon and his terrible coaching mind did against Alabama. Or sorry, right. Patino against Alabama versus Turgeon against Alabama. <laughs> the coach coaching clearly matters, right? It does. It definitely does. And there's no argument that Maryland has a better basketball program than Iona, but they do not have the better coach. That's for sure. Nope. Uh, let's dive into our Sweet 16 preview. Uh, let's just go in chronological order, I guess. Uh, Saturday, 2.40, Oregon State, Loyola, Chicago. Who do you like here? These are two really hot teams right now. Oregon State's playing really good basketball. Loyola, I think, is just better coach. I I like Loyola here, I think, Ed. Yeah, I think I like Loyola, too. Oregon State's been, it's been kind of fun. They've been on a nice little run here, and they've been playing really good ball, but I'll go with Porter Moser and the coaching in Loyola, Chicago. Yep. Villanova Baylor, 515. Uh, Villanova has surprised me. They've been playing much better basketball than I expected without Colin Gillespie. They've been really impressive first two games of the tournament. They're playing a Baylor team that seems to be fine in their footing again, looking like, you know, the Baylor team that we saw before the COVID pause. I like Baylor here. I think Villanova can definitely keep this competitive because they've been playing better basketball, but I just don't love the matchup for them. I think Baylor is the much better team. They're firing on all cylinders. I think they win this game, but I got to give credit to Jay Wright, Ed, because I I made the mistake of doubting Jay Wright coming into this tournament. I said on the Locks of Saturday podcast that I thought the committee was picking the upset for us with the 12-5 game against Winthrop. Villanova just kind of sat on him. It was never really all that competitive. Um, so credit to Jay Wright, but this is going to be a really tough ask here um, against Baylor team that's playing really good basketball right now. Yeah, for my money, Jay Wright's top maybe three coach in the country. I mean, he's fantastic. Yep. Um, so it's hard to pick against him, but Baylor looks unbelievable right now. They look like they did uh, leading into their COVID pause, and I think they they have too much talent, too much depth, and are able to handle Villanova here 
probably pretty easily, but you know, Villanova's got the ability to stay close in a lot of games. So uh, who knows, but I'll go with Baylor as well. They're too talented. Yep. With you. Um, I probably should have mentioned this as well. The Oregon state Loyola game and the Villanova Baylor game are both back-to-backs on CBS. Um, 725 TBS uh, Oral Roberts against Arkansas. I think the magical run of Oral Roberts ends in the sweet 16 ed. Um, I do think Arkansas is 11 point favorite though. I do think Oral Roberts can potentially cover that. So I take a look at that spread. Um, but this is a tough matchup, I think, for Oral Roberts against Arkansas, which another team that's just kind of been surviving and advancing, but I think just has more firepower. But I do like Oral Roberts potentially cover here. Yeah, I think you're on something there. They could keep it close. Arkansas's offense is a lot of fun, and they play a fun brand of ball. Um, and we've got a good SEC team, so I'll go with Arkansas. 955 TBS, Syracuse against Houston. I like Syracuse in the upset. Yeah, I I have such a hard time picking them. I just don't like them. I don't really like Bayheim, but Buddy Bayheim's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm gonna go with Houston. I think Syracuse's run ends. I I think I think Houston's a really good team, but that zone could cause issues. I mean, Houston can shoot the ball, but that zone is proven to be kind of ruthless. I love PFT from Barstool's. All his zone memes um, have been pretty hilarious, but. Yeah, I'll go with Houston. I, I think Syracuse's little run here ends. Houston better shoot the ball well. That's all I'll say. Um, Absolutely. I, I mean, Syracuse has been shooting it great. Buddy Bayheim is playing himself into the NBA draft conversation if he wants to leave Syracuse <laughs> because he's just yeah. shooting the absolute lights out. And that's one way to stick in the NBA is to just not miss from deep, which is something that they haven't done a lot of. Um <laughs> Creighton and Gonzaga, 210. This is now Sunday. Uh, we're on the uh, the second day of Sweet 16 games here. Sunday, 210 on CBS. Creighton against, Creighton against the one seed Gonzaga, and Gonzaga's a 13-point favorite. I think they kill Creighton here. I just don't – I don't love this matchup for Creighton. They've looked fine. They've been playing better than I expected in this tournament, but I just – much like the Villanova-Baylor matchup, it's like, all right, Creighton, Playing better than I thought, but Gonzaga firing all cylinders here. Yeah, I'm amazed Creighton is this far. Um, I kind of in a couple of brackets I had them losing to UC Santa Barbara, so I'm really surprised that they made it to the Sweet 16. I also have Gonzaga there, like same as Baylor, way too talented. Look like they have all year. Um, um, it almost seems like destined for a collision course, but collision course. Geez, I can't talk. Uh, but I definitely have Gonzaga here. 5 p.m. CBS on Sunday, the game of the weekend on paper, four seed Florida State, one seed Michigan. I had this actually picked correctly in my bracket up to this point, so I will give myself a pat on the back there because my bracket has been dog water. I'll, I'll say dog water, not dog shit, like I wanted to say. <laughs> um, this is a this is a tough one. I had a ton of trouble picking it in my bracket. Um, I actually have Michigan because in my gut I was like, if Michigan starts playing better basketball, without livers, you know, I think this is an opportunity for them to kind of surprise some people and look like the one seed that I think everybody had them penciled in as for most of the year. Uh, they've been playing better. I think I like Michigan here, but would not surprise me at all if Florida State pulls this off. This is a two and a half point spread here in favor of the Wolverines. I could see this going either way. I'm going to roll with Michigan because that's why I have in my bracket, but I think Florida State can definitely give them a run. I actually have Florida State in a lot of my brackets, and I like them to continue. Um, they haven't looked that good. They've 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 managed to you know get here, obviously, but they haven't looked amazing. 
Um, but I will go with Florida State. They're, there's so much talent and athleticism on that roster. It could give Michigan a lot of problems uh, without one of their, you know, main contributors on the wing and Isaiah Livers. I do worry about the interior presence from Michigan against Florida State, but I'll go with Florida State. And um, I think they I think they can pull it out here just based off of athletic ability. And hopefully they, you know, find their footing and play their max potential because they're going to need it. Michigan's look really good. Yeah, I mean, I think if Florida State plays their max potential, they could absolutely pull off the upset. Michigan has definitely looked better in the tournament so far than Florida State has. I agree with you there, but I think Florida State certainly has potential. They have the skill talent. They have the coaching and Laird Hamilton to get this done. Uh, but I'm going to roll with Michigan just because that's what I have in my bracket. Uh, 7.15 on TBS, UCLA. Mick Cronin has them playing some good basketball. They're playing against the two-seed Alabama, and Nate Oates has – <laughs> they got he's got the crimson tide rolling i i don't know this is a this is probably my second favorite matchup of this weekend i think it's flying under the radar a little bit i think this has potential to be a very good basketball game i'm rolling with alabama um look i, I think they're just better uh ucla has been playing really good ball though and they're one of several pac-12 teams obviously uh in the sweet 16 which I probably should have mentioned off the top the Pac-12 has been awesome in this tournament so far, but I think UCLA's run finally ends here in the Sweet 16. I'm going to roll with Alabama here. Yeah, I mean, I thought all along that there was a chance that an 11 seed made it this far, but I thought it was going to be Michigan State. Me too. Um, good for Mick Cronin and UCLA. They're kind of a little ahead of schedule there as well, uh, but yeah, Alabama's way too good. After watching what they did to Maryland, are you kidding me? How could I not pick them? Alabama, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, and then... <laughs> Got a Pac-12 matchup, 9:45 TBS. Oregon against USC. Um, I think USC is really, really good, but I can't continuously pick against Dana Altman. I've done that already in this tournament. I can't do it anymore. I think I'm going to go with Oregon here to pull off the upset. Um, USC has been playing great basketball, though. This, this is going to be a really fun matchup we've already seen a couple times this year but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out when the lights are brightest yep i'm going with oregon i have them going pretty far in a lot of my brackets i've been on them pretty heavy uh, i was concerned after the vcu game got canceled that oregon would struggle against iowa and that proved to be not the case at all um they kind of rolled in that one that was a great game a uh, ton of points in that one so I'm, I'm definitely going with oregon to knock off usc in the last game of the weekend or last game of the sweet 16 i guess yeah, actually, be... technically the last game of the weekend because the tournament's all weird this year. But yeah, that's it's odd. We're getting midweek elite eight games. It's I don't know what what in the hell's happening. Um, cool, Ed. Uh, a lot of fun basketball ahead. Uh, let everyone know where they can find your stuff. We'll be back. We'll probably talk more about the tournament final four and stuff like that. It gives us an excuse to record another podcast. So uh, let them know where they can find your stuff. Yeah, on Twitter, E underscore Williams 24. Yeah, I'm sure we can get back on and talk about um, you know, this weekend and then leading into next weekend with the final four and stuff. And maybe by then we have some transfer news for Virginia Tech as well to touch on. But um, yeah, Mike, tell them where you're at. Yeah, at Mike McDaniel SOS uh, from Sons of Saturday. Changed the Twitter handle because I started contributing to a bunch of the Sons of Saturday sites. So go check that out. Check out our stuff on the website. We're yeah, also right really, now. really good interview with Storm Murphy by Grant Mitchell on the Sons of Saturday website. Go check that out. Yeah, definitely for sure. All right, Ed, we'll talk soon. Um, hopefully we'll have some more positive transfer news for the Hokies, uh, but we'll talk to you all again shortly.